Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about the secrets to starting with nothing, and we'll do that with Dean Van Zyl. Now, Dean is the CEO and founder of National Adhesive. He's from Swaziland, which is in Africa, and he's a coffee lover. Throughout his career, he started, built, restructured, sold, and remained part of numerous businesses in different market segments and in different countries. He's been in manufacturing, commercial, and industrial trades, marketing, and branding, all the way to logistics. He's gained knowledge across every aspect of a business. His experience has led him to consult, own, and assist from setup of the initial concept to turnkey systems, solutions, production requirements, logistics, and marketing strategies. He's, take, take, he's taken the businesses from the ground up, breaking into new markets with new customers through, the full, through full-scale running, ensuring the correct structure, staffing systems, market penetrating, and products are utilized in order to successfully establish and maintain sustainability and, most importantly, profitable enterprises. Dean, it's fantastic to have you here, sir. That's good to be here, Bill. Thank you very much. So, sir, uh, who does National Adhesive serve? So National Adhesive serves mainly our team, our people. You know, you know for me, it's, it's very simple. The team is what builds a business. You know, from there, it, it's regardless of what you're doing, who you're doing for. So, so team is definitely number one. Followed very, very, you know, closely behind that is obviously both the consumer, supplier, and customer. And I say consumer and customer because our customer is the person who's selling it to the consumer. And the consumer, obviously, you know, th- those are the people that we need to educate. So... Uh, you know, it's it's multifaceted in terms of who we, we serve. But yeah, that's, I, I would say, mainly my team is my core focus. Beautiful. So what problems do you solve for people? I mean, ha- have you ever walked down an aisle of Home Depot or Lowe's and try to pick some cork or sealant or adhesive in that? It's pretty confusing. No <laughs> kidding. As a matter of fact, I just got doing exactly that sort of thing this weekend, Dean. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, I was over having looked at opportunities in the US and, and, you know, I have some background, which we'll get to later. And, and I, I was actually doing a, 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 you know, just a sort of a recce and I was walking down the, the, the aisle and I was like, this is crazy. It's so noisy and so busy. I, I know that I can communicate this better. You know, I can educate customers of which products to choose, you know, choose the right product for the right application. And uh, so that's the problem we solve in. So how do you typically go about solving the problem? Maybe, maybe you could go through an actual case study of somebody with a problem, how they found you, how the problem got solved, what the results were. Sure. So, you know, so how are we solving the problem now? How are we solving the problem in the past? And how are we going to solve the problem in the future? Sort of, you know, there's a bit of a journey. Um, okay, beautiful. So we want to simplify it. That's, that's the first thing, simplify it. You know, when you walk up to a product, you want it to speak to you directly, immediately, you know, without any sort of confusion. So the first thing that we did was simplify the the design aspect. So when you pick it up, it's not all this technical information thrown at you, you know, so we simplified the design. 
and you know little things for argument's sake we are probably the only cork company out there that actually states right on the front that it's not paintable because everybody tells you if it's paintable but i mean how do you know if it's not so people go and buy a product they you know they buy a silicon they'll put it down they'll paint over it in a couple of months or years or weeks or whatever it starts peeling so simplifying the message was the first thing that we did. The second thing that we did was we put QR codes on, and this was before the pandemic. So before QR codes came back into fashion, you know, we had already done our case study and, and the, the, the pandemic just helped us. So the, the journey of the information, you know, you pick up that, that tube, it's super confusing. So, you know, we basically, we made it easy, you, you know, and that's, that's the whole premises. Everything we do internally, everybody asks one question. How does this make it easier for, you know, the consumer? That, that's the whole thing. So, you know, the QR code takes you through a journey. The next thing that we're busy implementing right now is AR technology, which basically all you have to do is literally, as you put your phone over that QR code, it pops up around the outside of the, you know, there's, there, there's information around the outside of the product live there in, you know, augmented reality. So you can see the different, you know, projects that you can do with that. And then from there, it's the follow through. It's the journey about how you get to the, the, the educational videos. It's how you get to the technical information. But the thing that we're really, really proud of is what we'll be launching next year. And that's the AI technology. So we, we're introducing digital humans. So what would happen is, you know, chatbots are, are great, but frustrating. If you don't ask the right question, you're not going to get the right answer. So, you know, basically take a chatbot on steroids and you've got uh, digital humans. And, and the beauty about that is that it engage with, engages with you with almost like a likeness of a human being, but it reads your facial expressions. So if you're looking confused or excited or, you know, whatever your expression is, it, it you know, can pick up and it can lead the conversation in different ways. We get live data straight back immediately so we can make an adjustments. And when people are getting asked questions and if we don't have the answer, it goes through into a call center, which can immediately get answered. So basically, we're trying to make this journey as simple as possible. And the last thing we're doing is, you know, if you look at the newer generation coming up, they, it's the can-do generation. They want to do it. They want to learn how. And there was this, this big gap, unfortunately, I feel, in millennials where they weren't taught how to do things. That, you know, there, there's this, the hands-on is not there. But now with, you know, and again, the pandemic played into it and everybody's doing their DIY projects or, you know, but they want to share that, you know, they want to show, look what I did, you know, so now we're creating these platforms where not only can they share what they, they've done and interact, you know, interact with other people, they can also go on them themselves to, to see how to do it, you know, so that's part of the whole journey. So, you know, we don't look at it as selling adhesives, that's not what we do, you know, we educate people how to use adhesives, but using our adhesives, obviously. So my next question is going to be, you're going to really be smiling away, I know. So I'm going to ask you, how are you different from your competition? <laughs> well, besides embracing technology and not actually selling it, you know, that's, that's the main thing is we, we, we really taken up, if you have a look at this industry, it's, very, it's been stagnant for a long time. And, you know, we've been very fortunate, you know, we, we've signed up some licensing agreements with DuPont under the Great Stuff brand. And, you know, they've been around, that brand's been around for 40 years. It dominates the foam sealant market, about 80% of the market. It's got a very strong loyal following, you know, so, we, so we've taken a very strong brand 
and we've taken it and instead of doing the same thing that everybody else is doing you know we come in and we just we're shaking things up and we're changing the way it's sold you know so it's not about oh yeah it's just another product or a tweak on this formulation all that it's not about any of that it's about embracing technology aiming at the younger you know generation going onto TikTok and sticking cars to the side of the building you know uh, those kind of things you know having fun you, you just make I mean glue's not sexy so you know we're making it sexy so uh, I think we've had a our listeners do, I do have a good understanding of, you know, of your market, who you serve, how you're built for your own team. And then down the road come the suppliers and customers and end users. And you've told us how you're dramatically different in the way you go about solving the problem, particularly with this embracing of technology as opposed to the good old boys technique and how you yeah. different dramatically from your competition. So I'd like to <clears throat> switch a little bit now. Dean, and talk about how in the world you ever got this idea. I, you told us a little bit about walking down the aisle of Home Depot or something. But tell us, take us back, walk us through your story. Tell us how it all happened. Well, you know, I think a story like this all boils down to a girl, doesn't it? No. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I had exited a number of businesses that I was involved in back in, in Swaziland uh, and in South Africa. I had businesses in both. And, you know, I, I had another business that I was in partnership with and you know, I, was, I was kind of treading water and I was, I was in a place in my life where I had taken a bit of a, a step back and, and just enjoying myself, you know, but I was getting bored and, you know, I needed the next challenge or, or, or the next thing. And, I, you know, I wasn't quite sure what that was. And then I happened to, you know, meet somebody in, in Swaziland and, you know, when a decision had to be made was, you know, how do we take the relationship further? I mean, she's from here. So... You know, at that stage, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I, I started coming over and doing a couple of trips and seeing, you know, do I, do, what do I want to do? How do I want to take this forward and all of that? And, you know, once I made the decision that, you know, I want to make it work and I want to be here in the, the U.S., it was, okay, let's start looking at opportunities. And, you know, from the opportunities, you know, I, I basically tapped into my experience and my knowledge. And, you know, I had been selling adhesives in an industrial supply company I had in Swaziland. You know, the Glue Devil brand, which is what we brought over here and turned into Glue Angel, was created by really good school friends of mine and family friends 27 years ago and very successful in the Southern African market. They supply to 18 different countries. And that's, you know, I, I was looking at a number of different businesses and that's the one day I was, I was walking down, you know, it was a Home Depot and I was like, there's got to be something here. And, and I started digging into it and I started looking into it and doing the research. And when I went back, we sat down and we started looking at it. And, uh, you know, that's basically how the journey started. And, you know, the, the opportunity for the great stuff expansion came up. And I mean, that was, that was a major change in our business. You know, obviously COVID came and threw quite a spanner in the works, you know, and, and things just had to change and pivot in that. But I mean, that's, that's how the journey starts, you know, getting over here in the U.S., so what were some of the major milestones? So your first key hires, how you built your management team? Did you bootleg it? Did you get investors? Walk us through a few of the key milestones. Sure, there. sure. So, you know, in the beginning, we bootlegged. You know, we, we, we invested ourselves initially just to make sure this was a viable idea. You know, and then we slowly, I started off with a fractional CFO first, you know, just to make sure that the numbers made sense. Um, and then the first person that, that came on board and, and uh, joined me was my, my current COO, and, uh, you know, came unbelievable experience, uh, very strong in terms of supply chain knowledge, you know, so he joined on board, a bit of sweat equity, you know, and that's how we started. And then we slowly, you know, sort of building and bringing on the right expertise. 
I mean, I know right now what my next 15 hires are. You know, it's, it's, we, we've planned this thing very well. I know the direction. I know where we're going. And, you know, once we got a bit of traction in the beginning, and, and when I say traction, I mean, we only really started selling, you know, in year three. Before that, it was about building the infrastructure, putting the right systems in place, you know, developing the, the game plan, you know, bringing the right people on board, and building the relationships with the customers, with the suppliers. You know, there's there a lot of legwork that had to get done first. And then we slowly, you know, we bought some strategic investor relationships in that, you know, they, it would be mutually beneficial, you know, and they would help us grow the business a little bit, you know, and started all small like that, you know, and, and you know, right now we actually about to enter into a series A for, you know, we have the hockey stick and, and, you know, the business is, is exploding. So, you know, a, a lot of forethought had to go. No, good. So a lot of forethought. So you must have a vision. So five, 10 years out, how far are you thinking ahead, Dean? 10 years. So, okay. so, you know, so I do it in a number of different ways. I mean, the next three months is very sort of detailed. The next six months, you know, pretty detailed as well. And then in the next year, we know exactly where we want to do. So we know exactly what next year looks like. I use a thing called Vivid Vision, which is, you know, written three years in the, you know, in the future looking back. And uh, we actually share that, you know, not only internally, but new hires that want to come on, you know, what kind of company are we going to become? Who are we going after? You know, how are we going to do it? You know, where do we want to be? How do we want to be seen? You know, those kind of things. So, you know, that vivid vision obviously gives the direction, you know, of the company. You know, we, we know we've got our five to seven year plan and, you know, so phase one is, is between now and the end of next year. Phase two is over the next three years. Phase, you know, the three goes into the five to seven and then we've got a 10 year goal as well. So. You know, we, we've got all of that and, and we're constantly reviewing and, and making sure we're on track and uh, yeah, it's very, very clear direction. Okay. You've already mentioned that you know who your next 15 hires would be. So I'm imagining that you probably have an organization chart drawn probably for 10 years from now, five years from now, three years from now, a year from now. And what's that look like? Oh, it changes on a continuous basis, but you know, I think the overall structure in terms of where the business is, I think I'm very fortunate myself and David are in a situation, he's my CEO, where we've got a very strong integrated visionary relationship, you know, and you know, I, I keep extracting myself further and further out of the business so I can work, you know, on the business, not in the business, you know, and that, that allows me then to, you know, hand over the running of the business to him. Yeah, in order to do that, we know what is it that we need, you know, so, so we've got the structure of the business. And then part of the phases is our expansion plan, you know, whether it's we've got international expansion plan down the line, you know, we've got production facilities that we're doing with distribution centers. So, you know, the, the plan, you know, I keep moving in, starting the next project, getting it up running and then putting it into the, you know, the structure of the running of the business and keep doing that. So, you know, as we grow as a structure, you know, your sea level grows, it gets bigger and gets stronger, you know, and, and the rest all falters down in that. So, you know, very, very sort of structured growth, but with a lot of flexibility as well, we need it. So distribution wise, do you go direct to the retailers or do you go through the distributors? What's your model or do you do both? So, so how we work is, you know, we really act as a facilitator between our production facilities that we use and, and we have our goods produced Turkey, Taiwan, Thailand, Philippines, you know, China, South Africa, all over the place. And, you know, we've got these production partners that we use and we facilitate everything. Everything from a DuPont side of it goes through a stewardship process. It can take okay. us, you know, sometimes up to two years to get a product 
you know, from start to finish onto markets. And, and then what we do is we have, we have three avenues that we work in. So we've got, uh, you know, direct to consumer, which is the e-commerce side of things. And, and that's done in two ways. One direct with us, but one also through our, you know, we do dropship programs through our, our retailers. We, we basically go directly to retailers like Home Depot, Lowe's, you know, Menards, Walmart, those kind of customers. We use third-party logistics to help us with the distribution. But then we also work in other industries where we've got like on, you know, you've got distributors like, you know, Orgrill and Ace and True Value and those as well. So it, it's it, it's sort of a, a mixed field there. And then our direct-to-consumer and that, you know, we sell at all our MSRP prices so we're not competing against our, our retailers and our customers. So, so what's holding your, what, so besides your Series A that's coming up, what's holding you back right now? From, from growth, uh, I mean, growth is expensive, you know, it's, it's funding, you know, and, and the way we, we've structured the business and that, you know, it's not just for us, like throw money in it and, and make it work. You know, we make that money stretch. We want to grow it. We want to give value back to our investors, you know, and, and we want to prove ourselves a lot along the way. So we've been very fortunate. We've got a lot of good talent that's internal. I mean, so far, you know, we've only hired rock stars and, uh, you know, we've got a couple of more lined up. So we're not struggling with talent at the moment. I think also the way we run our business attracts people. I mean, from, from pre-COVID, we, we work remotely. I've got customer, people working for me across the whole of the U.S. I've got uh, people in South Africa as well working for us. You know, we, we, we do things like unlimited leave. There's no working hours. It's all an output driven. So, you know, the way we structure the business, people want to be part of it, you know, and it's exciting and we change the way things are done. And, you know, we, we open to, you know, I, I, I joke about it. I like to be the dumbest guy in the room, you know. So yeah, it's not autocratic and there's a lot of flexibility and freedom. So from that point of view, we good, you know, from a supply chain point of view, we, uh, we're very, very strong, which is excellent. We've got phenomenal relationships with our, our customers, you know, we embrace the technology. So, you know, I, I think we've got a good balance. Again, so, it comes uh, in the planning. Well, yeah. So I, 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 I love the way that you're, you're inventing the future now. A lot of people just, uh, I call it, uh, I call it, unfortunately, a lot of businesses, you know, this operate with a whack-a-mole system, whatever <laughs> the world shows up, they're going to deal with that. And it looks to me like you are anticipating all the things that are going to be happening. That's beautiful. So uh, how can our listeners then get a hold of you now? I mean, I mean, I think the easiest way I'm very active on, on LinkedIn myself personally, uh, you know, so reaching out to me on LinkedIn, you know, I, I engage a lot and, you know, I, I, I love helping people, you know, so whether it's, it's from looking for our product and I'll redirect you our website, obviously nationaladhesive.com, you know, is the best way to get hold of us, you know, the, the product side of you, but just, you know, in general business and that, I mean, I'm all about, you know, people growing and, you know, becoming more. So I love working together and I'll definitely respond. Okay, beautiful. So, Dean, what's the what's the one question that I should have asked you and I didn't, and what's the answer to that unasked I, I, question? I think it's about which kind of relates to the planning that we we're saying, but it's about how do you keep going in in a startup when it feels like you can't keep going anymore, you know, and, and in the early days, it, it, it's tough. It's, it's hard. You know, I've been in, involved in a number of startups and I think, you know, coming here to the U S not knowing the market, not knowing, not having any support systems, not understanding, you know, the structure of business, you know, not even initially being able to open a bank account, you know, that that's how difficult it was in the beginning. 
So I, I think it's tough. And I think there, there are two things that really, really helped me. Um, one was knowing my why. Why am I doing this? You know, what is the reason behind it? And that's not just about building a company and building a brand, which is, is what I'm doing. But it's, it's what I want to get out of it at the end. And, and that was a massive thing for me. That was the driving factor. And that helped me on those days where it's just like, you know, get through the next phone call, get through the next email, get through the next half an hour, you know. So that, that helped there. But I think the other thing as well was having that clear direction and plan. And even though we pivoted and we had to. But knowing ultimately what it is that I wanted to achieve and having that. So it wasn't just, you know, putting out fires and was able to say, no, that's a distraction. No, that's not what I want to do. And just remain focused and going in the right direction. I think those are the two big things that helped me. Beautiful. Thank you, Dean. You've been very, very generous with your insights. Thanks for giving us an overview of your business. You're off to a great start. And I know the next 10 years is going to be fantastic. But knowing you... After this year is over, you'll add another year to the end. There will always be a 10-year horizon. <laughs> I, I think so. I think there will always be 10 years. <laughs> there will always be a 10-year horizon. Yes, indeed. So, everybody, in closing, let's focus on a single fact, and that is that our businesses, any business, does not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. So thanks for listening. Adeen, thank you very much once again for sharing your time with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. I appreciate it.